You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of the FitFo Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Verdusco, just a regular dad going on a journey to figure out how can I be the father I wanna be for my two girls. So today my guest is Rob Riker. Rob and I actually go back to the SDSU days uh, and it's been so fun, Rob, to see where you've become. I uh, obviously started to follow you again on Twitter and social media and, and so grateful for us to be able to stay connected from afar uh, that way. So thank you so much, man, for joining. Yeah, my pleasure, dude. I am pumped to be here. I'm really excited. We both have interests that align, whether it's parenting, uh, fitness, health, you know, raising our kids the right way, business, all that. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it all. Yeah. And I think today we're definitely going to have a parkour conversation of going from parenting to business to, you know, I love your, your Twitter handle or, or uh, image. And it's like, say goodbye to your nine to five. So I'm so curious to learn a little bit about that and hopefully educate some of the listeners about, you know, maybe they're in a job that they're not so excited about and how could they learn from somebody like you or go find coaching? Because I think it's vital for all of us to have a mentor and maybe this will be the spark for them. So I'd love to start, if you don't mind, just giving a little bit of a bio or a backstory, you know, about yourself and where you're at now. Yeah, I'll start with basically what I do. Um, I mentor I mentor aspiring entrepreneurs so they can leave their nine to five and take full control over their income and their calendar. Uh, many people out there work jobs that they just they don't like or they even hate it, um, or they're frustrated. You know, they're gone from the house for twelve hours a day. They don't have time to do things for themselves, whether it's exercise or something else, especially if you're a parent, right? You got to get home. You got to feed the kids. You got to get them ready for bed. All of a sudden you're back laying in your bed and you're like, dude, I didn't do anything to take care of myself, take care of the house, do any of that. And so I help people in this situation find work that's better for them uh, via online coaching and help them leave that job and take more control over their income and their schedule. So cool. I mean, I think we all want that um, independence, right? You know, everybody talks about it from a financial perspective, but I think you mentioned the calendar and that's something that so many of us, you know, we're almost uh, not slaves to it, but kind of right. And so to be able to have that flexibility, obviously the pandemic has been great because now people can work a little bit more remote and you get more time in the household with the kids. But ultimately, you know, I think being able to have the total control of your calendar is what we're all searching for. So I've got to start with, how did you get into that? Like, how did you start business coaching? Do you, do you want the long version? Let's go, man. Tell me about it. All right, dude. When I was 16 years old, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it had a profound effect on me. It's probably one of the biggest paradigm shifts I've had in my life. Uh, have you read the book? You know, I did around the same age and I wish I can say it made such an impact. It did. And I loved it. Uh, but it took me like another decade to start applying that growth mindset. Um, so I wish I would have started sooner, but yeah, definitely read it and highly recommend. So I'm glad you mentioned the growth mindset and it, dude, it took me similar time. I mean, from the moment I read that book to the time I left my nine to five to do my online coaching business. Uh, full-time was 19 years. Like, so <laughs> it's not like, oh, I read it and then it changed my life immediately. So, but from that day on, I knew entrepreneurship was the way I wanted to go. I had no idea how I would do it, like what, like if I would even make it happen, but I knew that was the goal. Um, he, he clearly stated that like, if you want to build wealth, like one of the best ways to do that is through entrepreneurship. Um, not that you can't make money or have a good job doing other things, but it's just, it just stuck in me that like it, to have freedom and wealth, you want to be an entrepreneur. And so that was just something that stuck in the back of my head. But like the growth mindset part is also very important too, because he basically teaches you to think, don't say, oh, I can't get rich. You say, how can I become rich? And that change of mind was also what turned me from like 
a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Yeah. I think we all probably have that point where it's, we've felt, um, kind of that victim mentality in ourselves, right? We're able to tell ourselves, oh, it's just too hard. It's not for me. I can't make this happen. But it's hard to look at yourself in, a, in the mirror and have that self-awareness to be like, no, instead of saying, I can't, you have to say, I can. And how can I do it? So I like that you brought that up. Yeah. And so it kind of got put on the back burner. I went to college. Um, to be honest, in college, I, I mean, I had a blast, but at the same time, I was I had pretty low confidence in myself, whether it looked like it from the outside or not, uh, maybe completely different, but I always, I was pretty unfulfilled. I always felt like uninteresting to people. And I had this really deep need to want people to like me, which is not a good way to live. Um, and anyway, so I didn't, I, so I went the whole college route and I was like, I'm just going to get a good job out of college. Cause I had ideas and this and that, but I was too scared to act on them. And honestly, I just had no idea how to make it happen. And so I got a finance degree, took a job in finance. That's what brought me out to Santa Fe, New Mexico, worked out there for a couple of years. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but then I made the decision I could go full finance and really have a great career um, that I actually really loved and looked forward to, or... I could go to an engineering firm with less hours, more flexible work, uh, less pay at the same time, but I'd have more flexibility that I could use the, the time outside of work to maybe build something on my own. And so I took that route, even though I had no idea what I was going to do or how that would pan out. And several years after joining that firm, the engineering firm with more flexibility, I took this is, I think, 2015. I took, I bought a, an online course on how to build an online business. Um, Who was that by? I think Ramit Sethi. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I love. It's called. I love Ramit. We. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but we just oh, read good. that book uh, to start the year for my team. We do like a book club in my office, and it's you know not necessarily related to our business, but you know personal growth and. Everybody wants to start the new year with, you know, new finances. And we were going through that book club with him and, you know, I will teach you to be rich. No, maybe not the best name in the world, but the principles in there are awesome. So I could only imagine like the deep dive, a course that he would teach you would have. Yeah. And so it was like, it was a $2,000 course. It's not like, it wasn't cheap. You know, I took it seriously, went through the whole thing. And, you know, I knew nothing about online business. Uh, so this was a good introduction to just like learning all sorts of things I knew nothing about. And obviously part of it, you have to figure out your niche. What are you going to sell? What are you going to do? And I decided to go into the social skills niche to help young adults uh, make new friends when they move to a new city. Because when I moved to Santa Fe, that was something I struggled with at first because I got there and I was like all excited to make new friends, build a new social circle of this whole new life. A month into it, I realized, wow, making friends as an adult is really hard and I don't know how to do it. And I started getting kind of depressed. Like, oh my, because there was one specific night I went out to the bar and I was like, my whole goal is just to meet people, whatever. Mm-hmm. I sat at the bar, I got a beer by myself. Someone sat next to me and I, almost talked to him. And then I just didn't, I was like, like I let too much time pass. And I was like, Oh, it's gonna be awkward if I say something. And I just didn't, I went home, didn't talk to a soul that night and was like crying by myself in my room. So I was like, dude, I'm a failure. Like I failed. I like, I just felt so deflated, but luckily I decided not to give up. And I was like, I'm just going to literally talk to as many people as I can Let me backtrack a sec. One of the things that prevented me from talking to strangers in the first place was I was so outcome dependent. Like I always tried to figure out, okay, I'm going to say this. And then if they say this, I'll say this. And I really wanted to, you know, turn that guy into a friend or like get that girl's number or something. It was just so important that I achieved that result that I scared myself out of even talking to these people. Yeah. And so- you're going in trying to, um, you know, you have expectations versus just intently having a conversation and just enjoying the moment. Yeah. And so I, 
I was like, I'm just going to delete all that. I'm all I care about. And all the only thing I'm going to use to grade success is, did I say something to someone? And that's it. And so I don't care if it's, hi, how's it going? What's going on? Like, it didn't matter. And over the next month, I talked to like almost a thousand people. Um, I literally, I went to the town square and just started talking to strangers out there. I went to a restaurant. I would literally like just talk to people on my way to my seat. Um, I went to events. I went and volunteered at a, like a film festival and just randomly walked to all the different volunteers and said, what up and talked to them. And I, I talked to like almost a thousand people that month. And two weeks in, I had already met like a handful of people a month later. I had already like a bunch of good friends and my social circle just started exploding. And so because of that, uh, that whole experience, and then the next two years were like amazing. I built the best social circle and I had like the time of my life, um, with my newfound social skills and like friends that I had made because of it. And so with this online business idea, I was like, Hey, I'll help people, you know, improve their social skills. I like did this from the trenches up, you know, it's not like I'm just a social guy and I'll try to help people. It's like, I had to learn from scratch or from not having them to having them. What were some of those first couple of days? Like, I mean, you know, making yourself uncomfortable and just talking to everybody, you know, I, you know, it might seem like it's not that tough now, but I'm sure those first couple of days were just like nerve wracking. Like, was there any awkward moments or any funny stories that came from it? Honestly, not really. So people who didn't want to talk like they're, if you just go, Hey, how's it going? They usually say, Oh, good. And then just kind of like show that they're not that interested. And you say, all right, cool. Right on. You keep going with your day or, or something like that. It, it, and I quickly, like literally the first or second person I talked to realized, Oh, it's not a big deal if they reject you. Cause not like a, it's not like they're saying, what are you doing? Creep, whatever. Like, it's just, Oh no, they don't seem that interested to talk, whatever. And most people were actually pretty cool. They're like, Oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Like people are genuinely like, I remember being in an elevator with someone. And I just say, Hey, how's your day going? She's like, wow, that's like really cool. Most people wouldn't even ask that. And she like told me that. And I'm like, Oh, that is kind of cool. I guess I didn't even think about it. Um, which kind of crazy that like people feel that way. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what your job is, is basically you're helping people grow their careers by their social skills and teaching them well, how to build relationships. So, so no, so this is a niche I got into in 2015, but the, the oh. story continues. It's not the end. Oh, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. So I took that course. I got into this social skills niche. Um, and it taught me to, you know, create a blog, build an email list, uh, do guest posting on other people's blogs and email lists to bring them into mine. Because if they already have an audience, which I didn't have, that's a good way to get eyeballs on my stuff. And then to build courses and sell those things to my audience, which another, okay, I'll, I'm going to hold off on that. And so it went okay for the first few years. Um, I mean, I built like an email list of like a thousand people. Um, I built my first beta course, got one sale, then launched it again, got like five sales. And then the third time around got like a dozen or something. And at that point it was like a $500 course. So it's not like terrible by any means. Um, but it was a lot of work and it was slow and it didn't go too far. Um, and then in 2020 near the end of 2020, so I would gotten into Twitter, maybe 2018 ish or something, mm -hmm. which had a big effect in my life in many ways, which I can get into later. Yeah. But then around 2020, uh, someone I had known on Twitter who had really crushed it, uh, offered like a coaching package and I hired him for like four grand and within two months, he helped me like make almost 10 grand off selling high ticket coaching with the social skills stuff. And so I was like, Oh, okay. This seems like 
maybe a better route to go. You only need one or two sales a month and boom, you're making good money. Um, so I got a few clients working them through my social skills program, but honestly, they like the coaching was going great. The people were stoked on the calls. They're like, Oh my gosh, this is super, this is super helpful. They're like, I'm going to go implement this. We'd get on the next call and they're like, yeah, I didn't really do the stuff we talked about or like, and, and so in the end, they didn't really get the results I was hoping to deliver. So I pumped the brakes. I didn't want to sell something that wasn't changing people's lives. That wasn't doing what I promised, obviously. Right. And that was a, a big moment for me because by this time I'd been in that niche for like five years, I'd put so many hours into like trying to make this work. And I was like, I'm just going to take a break and just try to kind of figure out what the heck I want to do. Like, do I want to get better at coaching these people? Like I didn't, I just didn't know. And I knew whatever I had, I wanted to do, I wanted to do it for the long term, And I wanted to be able to practice and get better and better and better. Something I can kind of like pursue mastery with. And I was reading a book on social skills. Cause that's obviously I was trying to like improve and stuff. And that I'd read several in the past mm. and I just couldn't read it anymore. I was like, this just doesn't interest me anymore. Like I've read too much of this stuff and like my social skills and social life are fixed. So it's not really something like, like that I want to change for my life. And at that moment on, I was like, I don't think this is the right niche for me anymore. So I put the book down. I stopped tweeting. My Twitter was like, I don't know, a few thousand people, maybe. I don't remember exactly, but it was doing something, nothing crazy. And a year prior, I had bought a course on finding your life purpose because it just seemed cool. And I was like, oh, but then when I opened it, it was like, a hundred videos. They're like 30 minutes each. There's like these lessons and stuff. I mean, this thing is a beast. And so, <laughs> and so sounds like a full-time job in itself. <laughs> and I was like, now I have all this free time. I'm not like doing uh, the social skills stuff. I was like, I'm going to take that course. I'm going to go through it. Went through the entire thing, did everything it said. And basically what I figured out was like, I really wanted to get into coaching. I do love helping people. Um, and I liked that whole path and everything, but I needed to become a better coach. And so I then bought a life coaching certification class or took or whatever. And in that class, they teach you how to be a coach and stuff. And they, um, they have you give away free coaching sessions so that you can practice these skills and eventually you use that to build up clientele. So you give someone a free session, they really like it. It's like, well, if you want more of these, like on a weekly basis, you can pay for them. Right. And that's how you get your like first clients or all your clients, whatever. And I knew pretty early on, I didn't care to actually do life coaching, which is the client brings the problem to you. And then you work through whatever problems on their mind. I already knew I wanted to do more of like mentorship programs where it's like, I'll help you achieve X with my 12 week program or whatever. Hmm. And so, but nonetheless, I did the free sessions and still did the whole course. And while I was giving free sessions, I was finding all these people from Twitter, people I'd befriended and said, Hey, I'll give you free sessions. And I'm doing them. They all came to me with, they're trying to build their online businesses. So I kept helping people with like the same problem. And they're all like really pumped on the coaching I was giving them. So I was like, maybe this is what I should help people with because all the time I spent building the social skills niche coaching practice and whatnot, I learned how to, you know, start building an online following on Twitter. I started learning how to um, like pull leads in, get your messaging down, uh, create an offer that's attractive to people, close sales. And it's like the last piece I needed was actually fulfilling my promise. And now I found a way to fulfill that promise by helping people get their own sales and leads and close sales on for their businesses. And so then that's basically what started this whole thing. And then I got one got client to pay like 200 bucks and then one to 600. And I just kept raising the prices and improving my 
offer and program, um, which started last August. So today's June 27th. So it's been like, you know, 10 or 11 months. And I've just been doing that ever since. And two months ago, almost two months ago, I left my nine to five and now I do this full time. How incredible is that? Gosh, that had to be such a fun day. Oh yeah. It's like, how did you do it? One of the best feelings in the world, leaving the job to go work on this full time. So what do you call yourself now? Like, what is your coaching gig? I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a mentorship coach, technically. Um, life coaches get like really pissed if you say you're just a coach, <laughs> which I find ridiculous because coaching came before life coaching. Like you have a basketball coach, they've been out for decades and they tell, they teach you a skill. They don't say, come to me with your problems, right. but regardless, I guess mentorship coaching is the technical term. So yeah, I'm a mentor. I'm a mentor. So I help people build online coaching practices. So they, maybe they're a fitness coach. Uh, maybe they can help you fix your back pain. Uh, they help you find your life purpose, you know, overcome social media addiction, all sorts. There's all sorts of different coaches out there, but if they can help you achieve some sort of dream outcome or overcome a pain, that's like a really big deal in your life, a big problem, then I can help them turn that into a coaching, like a successful coaching practice. Oh, so you like train the trainers essentially, or mentor the, the mentors. So how did you, I guess, when you started a book that clientele, like, how'd you overcome some of those? I'm sure uh, tough times of like people thinking, Oh, this is a gimmick or, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt that way where people are like, Oh, this is a scam. Like, I, I don't know why, but sometimes I feel like there's misconceptions like that. And like you said, when you want to play basketball better, you hire a basketball coach, right? And you go and you get in the gym with them and you actually put in the work, but I'm sure, you know, there's always uh, the naysayers out there. So how did you overcome that? Two of the best ways for me to overcome imposter syndrome, which it sounds like you're referring to is hiring, hiring my own coaches, because if I don't have my own coaches, it's kind of shady for me to sell coaching. Right. It's like, if I really believed in it, I would do it myself. I've hired like five or six coaches. Now I, in the last eight months, I've spent $32,000 in coaching and so I take it really seriously. Um, so that, I mean, and, and each one of them so far has over delivered on the price that I paid for. So like I had, I not hired two, I, so I hired a, a sales coach and then just like in a general coach to help my online business strategy, uh, both towards the end of 2021. So what is that like six, seven months ago? And for, for them, I wouldn't have left my job two months ago. So, I mean, obviously they're doing their jobs right. And that's one big way. So like, yeah, I don't feel shady selling it when I know the impact it has. And second was by doing the whole, the coaching certification course, which had me give out those free coaching sessions. I didn't feel bad charging my first client once I had already helped like five or seven people for free. I was like, Hey, I got something here. These people said, this is worth paying for. So then I had this guy pay. And when, when these sessions went well, and then I didn't mind charging more for the next guy. And then they were both doing well. So I didn't mind charging more for the next one. And then it kind of just, my confidence built with each person I worked with. It's got to be a lot of pressure, though, to make sure you're delivering and helping add the right value, right? And you want to see these people have success. They've dedicated, you know, a good amount of money to it, and then you know, hopefully, have them uh, outperform the results uh, after working with you. And it sounds like you got to see that, so it probably feels good to be able to help others see that as well, dude. It's so the first thing that felt great in my business was like leaving my nine to five, but now the best thing is seeing other people do that. There's two moments I love when clients leave their nine to five, which literally one did today. Like he texted me and he put in his two weeks. So he hasn't left it, but he put in his two weeks and he's just like, 
Oh my gosh, dude. I can't believe it. Like it feels so good. So like, that's one of the best feelings in the world is getting that from clients or when they make their first sale. Those are like, when they hit me up, they're like, dude, I landed a client. And it's like, heck yeah, bro. Like, dude, so sick. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much why I do it, man. Yeah. That's so good because, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that probably have skills where they could coach other people. Right. And I have a friend that I was just talking to about this. He's in the SaaS world and he's gone through a couple of startups and seen a lot of success there. And, you know, we were just debating, oh, maybe he should go into starting coaching other, you know, sales leaders in that space. Um, but you know, you just didn't know where to begin. Like, where do we start with this whole coaching thing? And it sounds like, well, Hey, you'd be a great resource for him to check out. But I like how you said, well, go hire a coach. If you want to go coach yourself, you've got to do what you want to do. So that way you can live it and then go add value to other people after that. Yeah, man. And honestly, like you don't have to hire a coach. Uh, I just think it gives you more credibility and like authenticity, but dude, just start helping people for free. Cause that, that's, that's what gets you going. It's like, if you can prove that you can help people with this skill, then it's easy to charge people for it. But a lot of people, you know, they want to make money first, right. Or like they work up, they create their offer, they create their program, they spend all their time doing that. And then they go out and try to sell it. And they don't even know if the program's going to work. Um, they have no testimonials or proof. And it's just, I, I just feel like if you help people first, prove that it worked, figure out those kinks, like, oh, that's not important. This is, this helps people, this doesn't. And then once you actually help them achieve whatever goal that they were going for, and you have this transformation story, they were here, now they're here, show that to other people, like, dude, you can have this. You just got to pay me X amount of dollars. But if it's worth Y, then that should be well worth your money. It's a pretty no brainer decision for people. Yeah, seriously. And so now that you're doing it full time, right? Nine to five is, is gone for you. What does yes. it in a life look like? You know, how do you spend your days? What are so you doing mo- free time? Oh man, Mondays and Fridays are blank. I don't schedule calls or anything. So like we're doing today's Monday and we're doing this. I leave it blank. So if things like this pop up, I, I can take this opportunity to do it. Otherwise I have a free day to do whatever, you know, Mondays are a lot of planning for the week and strategizing and getting things done. Fridays are like catch up if I need to uh, do stuff like that. But honestly, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I have a a few client calls each day. Uh, You know, I, I write some tweets and whatever. And then my day is other than that, like for me. So I work out during, so my kids go to daycare and we'll get into the whole kids thing probably soon. Yeah. Um, my kids do go to daycare Monday through Friday. So basically I have this window while the kids are gone, I can work on the business. I can work on me, whatever. And then when they're at home weekends, mornings before they leave and nights, once they get home, I'm like, shut, shut all that stuff down. I'm not working out. Um, for the most part, I'm not uh, hopping on emails, doing calls, doing any of that. It's all family time. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, during the middle of the day, like I love to work out in the middle of the day. That's one of my favorite things about, uh, doing this online business is I built a home gym in my garage. And whenever I have free time in the day, whenever I'm in the mood to go work out, maybe, maybe I'm in a funk and I'm like, I need to work out right now to improve my mood. I head to my garage, I throw on some tunes and I, I get a workout in and yeah, man, that's, that's it. I make all my meals at home, which I love, you know, I eat a lot of steak and ground beef and eggs. And so it's nice being able to cook fresh meals every day. And, you know, I take my dog on walks. My, my wife's at home working right now. She'll be heading back to the office soon doing like a part, like a, what do you call that? A hybrid schedule. But right now we go on a lot of walks together during the day. Um, I go on trail runs. My neighborhood has like six miles of trails. So I'll go on trail runs a lot. Um, Mondays and Fridays, uh, sometimes I go out to coffee shops to do some work. I have some friends uh, that that are in like the online business realm and I'll go meet up with them. Maybe we'll do some work from a coffee shop or maybe we'll go out to lunch or go, go for a run or go hiking or do whatever. But 
Yeah, basically, it's a mix of working on the business and doing things I love. I think that's what everybody's looking for is that flexibility to have that much balance between both, right? It's, you know, a lot of people when we're working these, you know, nine to fives and you get home and it's like, you only got a limited window of time to spend it with the kids and be able to, you got to make dinner and everybody's got stresses. So I think a lot of people would benefit from, you know, potentially going this route and looking into, you know, finding coaches that can help them get out of that, you know, rat race, I guess a lot of people try to call it. So I got to say thank you again for like making your time so quickly too. I loved when we were talking on Instagram and you, you showed some love when I was you know launching this thing. And I was like, so when are you free? And you're like, Mondays and Fridays. Let me know what for you. And I was like, wow, like it was quick. It was easy. Like you truly meant it. Like you have created a lifestyle for yourself that if you want to do something spontaneity on Monday, you can do it spontaneously. And uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh yeah, man, dude. I was pumped. Like I saw you start the podcast. And so for me, it may, it reminds me of back in like my 2015 days when I first made that decision to start an online business, which I had no idea what that was even going to look like, but, um, it from the, like, you know, I would tell people like, what are you doing? I'm like, we'll I have a blog and, you know, and people always looked at me funny and it was hard. I didn't really have anyone in my court I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. So I guess they didn't have much reason to be in my court, but like, I always felt like I was doing this from the outside, like in lieu of what everyone else was thinking about it. And so I, whenever I see other people trying to create or do something new or something, I'm like, I love to encourage them. I love to see that they're doing it because I think people have so much more to give than they realize. And so the fact that you're starting this podcast, like I wanted to hype you up and let you know that this is an awesome decision that you should like move forward with it. Oh, well, it, it means the world, dude. It really does because you mentioned it earlier, but you know, I, I think a lot of us and myself, you know, it's probably my biggest problem is I feel the imposter syndrome, right? Like I always want to have confidence when I go into any room, but I do feel like, man, I don't belong in every room. And I think that I struggle with that. Um, so I try to make up for it by just talking to everybody uh, and trying to be the nice guy in the room because, you know, I definitely am not the smartest, but I, I do try to be, you know, one that radiates positivity. But I was always worried to launch a podcast because I'm like, oh, people are going to really know how stupid I am, right? Or know how little I actually know. And I was like, well, let me just pick a topic where nobody really fucking knows anything. <laughs> uh, we're all talking about parenting and trying to figure just, you know, do our best and figure it out. So, you know, here we are, but it's been fun. It's definitely been learning. And, and you know, I'm struggling through conversations, like learning how to interview is different. I do this every day from a, a career perspective, but when you're doing it like this, it, it's, you know, with the microphone in front of you, it just feels a little bit awkward. So having the, the confidence boost by somebody like you is something I appreciate. Heck yeah, bro. Dude, I'm stoked, man. I'm, I listened to like half of the podcast with Matt Boudreaux. Boudreaux. Was, I love that he gives us the freedom to say it however we want. Thank you, Matt. Oh, <laughs> well, you know Paul, so I was exactly. like, conditioning for so long. That's funny. But dude, his was awesome. And I'm like, this is just a great topic. I'm stoked to hear the future ones come out. Yeah. Well, so one of the things as I'm building this is if I want to get an audience, right, I have to be able to not just do a podcast, but maybe I do a YouTube channel and also do Twitter. And so when I saw you, I was like, I got to ask Rob, like, what are some tips, tactics and hacks, whatever you want to call them? Like going from where you were at to what I think I saw over 17,000 followers currently on Twitter. And, you know, I know life's not about followers, but I want to make an impact. I mean, the, the reason why I'm doing this is to try to help other parents, fathers in particular, become better dads. And I just, I don't think we talk about it enough. And so the more dads we can get in this circle and create this father energy, the better. And um, so I would love to maybe have you give me some insights and, and what can you share about how can I get a little better on that platform? Because it's definitely something I got to improve. Heck yeah. Um, before I answer that, I want to touch on the fact that you like, this community of dads wanting to be better dads or just the philosophy in general, uh, it's like a movement right now. It's growing rapidly and I foresee it just going for a long term. Like this is a niche that is becoming bigger and bigger and more and more important. Like the community I'm in on Twitter, which a lot of people call it money Twitter. It's just kind of the name it's gotten, but it's really just self-improvement Twitter. And 
there's just so many, it's just like all the dads are trying to improve. There's a ton of people talking about parenting, being better dads, this and that. And so I do love that this is starting to become like a cool thing. Like I felt like, I feel like if people talked about this when my dad was growing up, like being a dad, like it would have been totally ostracized and given a bunch of crap and no one would have listened to it. So I do love that. Um, and just think that the the future is great for, for dads who want to improve. Dad Twitter. I got to start to join those circles. I, I like that. Yeah. I'll have to follow, find some new followers just to get myself in the trenches. And so that is um, one of the most powerful tools on Twitter is meeting these other people. It's networking, building relationships. That's probably been the number one thing that's helped me is just really reaching out and making friends with a lot of these people, which really goes back to you have to be active on the platform. It's not like, oh, I'll just set up my Twitter account and post these things and um, and I'll grow. It's It's the people that grow are there. They're active. They take it seriously. They build friendships there. They like being on the platform. They, they don't just post, they reply to other people's stuff, you know? And, and so it's not a great platform for people who are really trying to be efficient or don't want to take a lot of time. It's more for people who want to join a community and become a part of it. But for those that do, uh, writing threads, and getting eyeballs on those threads are usually the best ways to either get sales or get followers. Um, because when you write a thread, you you people get invested in what you're saying. Like if you write a really good tweet, like I have an example. I, I wrote a tweet that got 7,000 likes and I have a thread that got 7,000 likes. The tweet got me like 100 followers and the thread got me 2,000. And it's a pretty like good comparison. This is pretty common on the way it works because a thread, it's really easy to see a, or a, a tweet. It's really easy to like, you're scrolling, you see a cool tweet and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Like keep going, you know, um, with a thread, you're not just going to read the headline and say, Oh, that's cool. Like go on. You're going to read the headline and you're either going to be like, Oh, it sounds interesting. I'll read it or nah. And you keep going. So if it gets the like, that means they're actually going and reading it. And so if they read your thread, you're usually offering some advice. You're teaching them how to do something they don't know. You're trying to solve a problem they have. So they're actually invested in what you're writing about. And by the end of it, if you deliver on your promise in the headline, they're like, damn, dude, that was really helpful. They like it. Boom. That person's a lot more likely to be like, who is this guy? Like, does he write threads a lot? Blah, blah. They click your profile. They see what you're about. Like, yeah, dude, I want to make sure I catch his content. Boom. Follow yeah, the threads thing. I mean, I that's what I love most about Twitter. Like when you find somebody that's interesting, they put a good thread out there and then you just go and go read more and more and more. Um, and I think it's also a good way to, oh, how did you phrase it? Like get eyes on more things, but also to be able to bring awareness to different types of topics. Um, and, you know, whether you find yourself in dad Twitter, money Twitter, whatever you call it, uh, the more you're putting out, the more you're going to be able to get back because that's how you're going to engage, like replying to those other individuals in that circle. And it kind of makes me think of, you know, we used to, you know, join clubs, right? We are social beings. And so, you know, it used to, whatever it was, the Rotary Club or, you know, whether it was your, you know, country club or, you know, whatever it is, you do those things to have interactions with others. But for some reason, there's always this negative connotation around doing it on social media because it's just different or you're doing it you know, by scrolling through your phone or you're not actually engaging, but you are, if you want to get the most out of the platform, you have to engage. And yeah, that's something I, I definitely don't do enough of. I mean, that's why I've, only stuck to Twitter and I don't have a bunch of other accounts. I do want to build, like start a, a professional Instagram. Like the one I have right now is just personal, but I'm on the verge of starting one, but it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to diversify when it's easier to like really focus on one because that's what a lot of people do, right? It's like shiny objects, shiny objects syndrome where they, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And they have like a TikTok and that, but then they don't focus deep enough on one. And then you don't really like make the progress because you're too unfocused. So, yeah, I feel like I think about Gary V a lot when he talks about his 
you know, when he's going into a new platform, it's like, you got to put 50 hours worth of research in before you can get good at this, you know, and it's, you know, 50 hours worth of Twitter sounds kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, you know, how do you do that and not do it where it's taken away from your kids? You know, for me, that's the biggest thing when I'm home and when they're around, I don't want to be scrolling through my phone. I want to be engaged. I want to be able to be there and, you know, be present, I think is a big one. So uh, when you put, you know, you really chunk your day up and you do it in the middle of the day while they're gone, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, before, you know, I obviously was working a nine to five before. So I'd wake up at like five in the morning before the kids are up, before the wife's up, um, even before the dog's up, like I'd be in my office cranking away until seven 30 when the rest of the family gets up, you know? And then from there, it's like family work, family, everyone goes to bed. Maybe I put another hour to it. And it's like, you just got to find those nooks and crannies of time that don't interfere with the the family life, at least that's the way I tried to do it. I know everyone's going to be different. I'm not going to judge anyone if, you oh. know, they, they take an hour or two away from their family to try to pursue their dreams. But um, yeah, now that I do this during the day and full time, I really try to do all the Twitter stuff while I'm here. I'm, I'm not perfect. And I've pulled out my phone before in front of my kids. It's not like it's never happened, oh, we all did, yeah. <laughs> but I like what you said, like presence is the key with, with our kids. Um, there's a saying, this guy, Zach, Zach small from Twitter said like years ago, and it was just like presence with a S and a C is greater than presence with a T, you know, like a, like mm. a birthday present. And it just stuck with me. And it's so true. It's like, your kids don't need more things. They don't, you don't need to buy your love. You just need to be there with them. It's not even... You don't have to be doing anything crazy, but just spending time with them, that is what they need. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think we agree on a couple of things from a parenting perspective. Um, but you know, let's start with health and, and nutrition because I know you talked about the steak and eggs and I see those tweets all the time um, on there. But you know, how do you approach you know, taking care of the family from like a food perspective? Yeah, man. Um, well, one thing I've done with my son is convinced him that dessert is Greek yogurt with blueberries and raw honey <laughs> and, and dude, like super healthy, like, um, like raw honey, extremely healthy, uh, blueberries, obviously healthy Greek yogurt, protein, like, uh, probiotics, everything. So that's his dessert. Like he, he looks forward to having that every night where it's like a lot of parents, give in, give them ice cream, give them this or that. And I, I, I'm not like, we're not perfect. He has ice cream every now and then, but it's, we just try to feed them healthy food for all his meals. Another thing that my, was my wife's idea, which I loved. Um, and now I'm really glad that she kind of pushed for it was we don't make special meals for our kids. They eat literally what we eat every night for dinner. And so it's not like, all right, let's cook up chicken marsala and then, and then microwave the chicken nuggets for Bradley. It's like, no, everyone's having chicken marsala. And by doing that, like every now and then he doesn't like something or whatever, but he's learned to be way less picky because he knows like what we do is we feed him dinner. If he doesn't eat it, it's, it stays there for like an hour. And then he comes back down and it's like, you can either finish your dinner or if you're not hungry, let's just go get ready for bed or you can eat your dinner and then have dessert, but you never get to dessert if you don't eat your dinner and then desserts on Greek yogurt anyway. And so th those are some strategies we've had. Do you ever worry? Um, Cause I know when I go through that, it's like you're, you're over uh, hype the, the dessert, right? Because you force them to eat that dinner before they get the, the reward. I know some people think that that's maybe not the right way to go about it, but for me, I, I agree. It's, you know, they got to eat what's there. I know I was such a picky eater growing up and save me here. My parents, my mom would just make me whatever I wanted. And, you know, I love her for that, but uh, I wish, you know, they would have thought a little bit more about the health and wellness aspect of it. And, you know, everybody's doing their best. You're tired, you're busy, you're exhausted from a day's work and, you know, then balancing kids. But I do like how you talked about, 
you know, giving them just healthy meals and making sure that they know, like, this is what's for dinner and this is what we're going to eat. And we're going to eat together as a family. What about when you guys are around the dinner table? You know, I know they're pretty young still, but is there anything that you guys like to do, like any rituals or I don't know, uh, as you guys talk about, or, you know, is there any fun things that you guys do topics of conversation at the dinner table? Not off the top of my head. Um, which I, I would like to have a more structured one, but what what's really important to us is just the family meals together. Mm. Um, I grew up, I knew a lot of kids who they they would feed the kids, the kids would go down, then they'd eat themselves. And I know some parents who do that now. And it's like, no, we're going to do family dinner every night. That was something I grew up with too, where it's like, I had a, I didn't have a, a tight leash, but like I, I was pretty, like my parents let me do a lot. Like I could go out with friends at night and stuff like that, especially in high school. But it was like, you're going to be home and eat with us. And then you can go back out. So it's like, if I went to a friend's house, I'd have to come home, eat dinner, and then I could go back over there. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, as much as I didn't like it at the time, I'm really glad we did it. And I'm definitely going to make, like, make sure that we eat as many meals as together as possible, which basically is breakfast and dinner every, every day together. And do you, um, like, are you the nighttime routine or do you do mornings or is it just like bounce back and forth between you and your wife? Right now it is the kids wake up at seven 30, uh, while my son gets dressed, my wife's still nursing my daughter for like another couple months or something. So that's, so that's she, awesome. she, yeah. So she's nursing her while he's getting dressed and ready. I'm cooking breakfast and then my wife and daughter finish. My son gets ready. I finish breakfast. We all come down and feast together. And then, um, maybe we'll play for a little bit or something or, or we'll just, if it, depending on the time or they'll get brush teeth, do all that and get them going. So we we're pretty much a unit at the moment when she goes back to her day job. Um, it'll be like flex work. So it'll be a little different. I'll, I'll take the kids three days of the week by myself in the morning, hmm. but then at nighttime, it's pretty similar. Um, she doesn't always need to nurse right before dinner. So sometimes she's making dinner now, but like for the last year, she, uh, I, I basically made most of the meals and stuff and it's kind of cool stepping into that role, you know, to just do what you got to do to help out. Yeah. So when you, uh, are like helping out with the kids, what, are, what's the latest milestone? Like what, are, what's going on in the Riker household right now? What's going on for a four-year-old and a 12 month old? Dude, my daughter started walking like a month ago. So yeah, she started walking. I mean, not like crazy early, but earlier than our son did who did at 14 months. So she's like running all over the place. Um, just wants to be like whatever me and my son are doing. Like she just wants to do it too. Like we, we have a, so I put up a basketball hoop in our, like the playroom on the door, you know? Yeah. And my son and I are shooting hoops all the time, dude. It's so much fun. I'm like stoked on it. And our daughter, whenever she sees us grab basketball, she goes and grabs a basketball and she's like running around holding it and I'll pick her up and like let her dunk it and whatnot. And like, so that's, that's kind of what they're at. I mean, dude, four years, four and a half years old almost. And he's just like, he put, dude, we play Uno every day and he's good. He, He beats us as often as we beat him. And he, you know, talks crap and stuff. It's so funny. He's like, I got you good. And yeah, man. So my wife's son and I, we, we play a lot of Uno with him and it's a blast. So it's, it's fun watching him grow up. Isn't it just the best, man? Ah, it's so fun. And like, are they so different as well? Cause for me, my way different. Yeah. That's the thing I wasn't really expecting, like how different it would be. And obviously I'm sure a boy to a girl, there's going to be some expected differences, but what are you seeing most? So what, so I don't know, like I think you, maybe, you know, I grew up like in the water, right? I surfed, I played water polo. I was on the swim team. I am a fish. My son would, so he's in swim lessons. He's actually doing really well now, but he like for pretty much his whole life, he's like hated water, like in his face, like bath time. Like you get a little drop in his eye and he's freaking out. And it's just like a nightmare. And it's like, dude, chill out. Just dump it over your head, bro. And like, and then our daughter, dude, she just 
pouring water on her face, like loves it. So they're different in that aspect. Um, what else? I, I don't know. They're, they, you, they just have different personalities, man. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so interesting to see. Like my, my first is just definitely uh, outgoing. She wants to be kind of like the life of the party. I can already tell I'm already nervous for, you know, what that's going to look like later on in life. Um, and my younger is just like so sweet, innocent, like calm, happy, just like this most smiley baby ever. And it's like, my first was a little bit rough at that age, <laughs> definitely more vocal. I mean, I remember her coming out of the womb and she was just pterodactyl and uh, she's been pretty loud her whole life. Uh, and the second one just seems to be a lot more reserved. So it'll be interesting to see how they grow up and how they change over the years. Dude. Yeah. That's uh, the opposite. Like my, my son's pretty cautious. Like he'll climb things and he's a boy, but like, he's definitely not a daredevil or like reckless. My daughter, I feel like she will be like, she just runs at things and jumps on them. And like, it's so funny watching her where he, like, even at a young age, he'd like, should I do this? Should I climb up? You know, some kids are just like, fall off, boom. And so I do think they'll be different like that, but opposite where the older one is the cautious one and the younger one is not. Oh man. Well, so much fun. I'm sure we can ramble on that for a bit. And dude, it's good just to catch up with you. Um, you know, I think as we get close to, to wrapping up here, just a couple of thoughts, like as I was, you know, you're talking about Twitter earlier and wanted to just circle back to it real quick, because I did want to get your advice. Like, I don't know, maybe this is me getting some free Rob Riker coaching, but if you were, you know, to coach me, like, where would you start? Like, what, what are a couple of quick actionable items that you would either challenge me to do or, you know, instruct me or teach me to do anything that come to mind first. If you were to do it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, man. So the first thing is nailing your messaging, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you always have to put yourself in the mind of your prospect. People are always like, I help people, um, like, like build a coaching business. And it's like, you're talking about how it's not like, you gotta look at from there. I was like, so that's why I changed it to like, I help people leave their nine to five. That's the big thing they want to do or create like financial security or control their schedule or have income that they control. Like, you know, a regular job, you might not be able to control how, like how big your raises are coaching. Did you double your prices? You double your income. Like you have that control. And so you really want to talk about your message from the prospect standpoint, like, their pains, their fears, their goals, their struggles, that, that type of stuff. So that, that's the first thing is really coming at it. Then it would be creating a highly attractive offer. Um, even if that's your podcast, you have to make it seem worth the investment, which may just be an hour of your time or something. I mean, time is a valuable commodity. Um, most, yeah. And so, you know, like, again, pointing out that dream outcome, uh, giving them a reason to think like that it, whatever you're promising, you'll help them do that. It like the chance of success is extremely high. Um, so if you, you're like here to make better dads, it'd be pointing out, like you listen to this, you will become a better dad. Right. Um, not like, Oh, you could learn a thing or two about parenting or something. And then promising that it happens in less time, with less effort than, or the less time, less effort takes the more attractive the, the value proposition is. That's what makes things valuable. If I say, oh, you'll be a better dad in 10 years. Well, yeah, that's not very helpful, right? Yeah. Um, so messaging is number one. Two, networking, uh, DMing people. I would DM people every single day. Two, two times, like I basically do like DM 10 people a week, just build relationships, build relationships, build relationships, spread what you're doing, you know, ask, be genuine, ask people about themselves. Like, what is it you're trying to do on Twitter? Is Twitter growth your main focus when you're on here? Are you trying to connect with people? And they'll tell you what they're up to. And they'll naturally ask you what you're doing. You talk about your podcast, you talk about what it's about, the value that people get out of listening to it some of those people are naturally going to be interested. Right. And then boom, that's how you grow naturally. And, um, that, yeah, that's how you like grow naturally. And then that's obviously not super scalable, but then you start building real friendships, loyal fans, the type of raving fans that you won't get from just like 
posting a viral piece of content. And then those people, as they engage with your content and stuff like that, then the natural like growth starts to take place because you've actually built these real people, real friendships who want to help you grow. And so you do that, you write like content that can go viral, like threads and stuff. And you do want to get eyeballs on it. So if you can befriend big accounts and get them to retweet your stuff and puts it in front of their, their followers, that's a great way to grow. Um, so that's kind of the quick rundown. Yeah. So I like what you're talking about on the DMS, like, and genuinely asking, you know, what is their goals on the platform, right? What are they doing to try to, you know, use this for, you know, their growth? Is it, you know, certain business or is it just an audience or a number of different things that come to mind, but I definitely haven't spent the time there. And I think it's a way to attract guests too on the podcast, right? Because you know, I'm not trying to do this to make money, but I am trying to do this to learn from other dads, other parents, right? It doesn't just need to be a dad uh, to be the best father I can be in hopes that other will come along the way and they'll learn something too. So I think everybody kind of has that bond where we all want to be the best we can be for our kids. That's for sure. Even if we can't do it for ourselves. And yeah, dude, and leverage every person you, you meet on the, on the podcast like now you can name drop and say, dude, I had this person on. Like, if you see someone that I'm friends with, you could always ask me to intro you and stuff, but like, you can always use my name or something as well. So it's like, maybe I know someone who has 50,000 followers and like you, you reach out to them like, yo, I had Rob on the podcast. He said, you're a great dude. Like love talking about parenting. If you'd ever want to go on, let me know. And then you get them on. And then maybe they have access to this other person. Um, I have a friend, Danny Miranda. He has the Danny Miranda Miranda podcast. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on his podcast, like number 18 or something. Um, this is a year ago, maybe more. It was, it was maybe, I don't know. Anyway, it was before I went to this niche. It was when I was back in the social skills niche when I was on it. And dude, he had Gary V on his podcast. Like he's just like, you just keep leveling up, you know, and using like the people you've had to meet higher, higher and bigger people. And it's just so cool, man. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a bucket list guy too, because he's big on the parenting aspect as well. Right. And I know he's really big on talking about, you know, no eight place trophies and the entitlement that we're creating in you know society right now. Um, so yeah, Gary's definitely one of those bucket list items, but that's the thing as you go through this journey, you just never know who you're going to meet. You're going to meet cool people of all different walks of life. And I think that's what I'm most excited about. Um, it reconnected us, man. We were friends, you know, a decade ago and we hadn't really engaged too much besides a couple of likes here and there. And dude, I hope we can stay in much better contact after this. Cause we're just, you know, dad's going through the same things together and we have a, a lot of common beliefs. So yeah, I'm hoping this will be a fun way for me to do that. Heck yeah, dude. Like, so pumped we reconnected because of this. It was a great excuse to, which goes back. It's like, it's just a great reason to talk to other people where it's like, oh, I might DM someone and be like, love what you're doing. They're like, oh, thanks, blah, blah. And then that's it. But with the podcast, it's like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? Sure. Boom. Now you're like building a much deeper relationship. So it's a great way to do that. I think it's an awesome idea. And yeah, man, I, I know that we'll stay more in contact because of this conversation. Yeah, most likely, or most definitely. Uh, so most likely would love to ask, uh, as I wrap up, I'm like, my camera is about to die. My battery's gone. You know, the perks of learning a new skill, right? Yeah. But you got to know, like if we're to leave the listeners with one piece of advice from a parenting perspective, you know, what is that that you're going to hope to pass down to your kids uh, that maybe you can share with the listeners? Two things. Um, one, if something's important to them, make it important to you. That's one thing I don't see a lot of parents saying. Like their kid will get super excited, try to tell them about something like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And don't talk about it. It's like, dude, if they're stoked on it, be stoked on it with them. That's going to build trust with them. They're going to want to talk to you more. And it helps build that bond that you just like that you really need to build with them that will, I believe, help them, like help you and your relationship with your child in the future. Show them that you care about what's important to them. And the other one, it, which is, I mean, everyone talks about this in every realm of life, but actions are greater than words, right? Don't just tell your kids to do this or do that. Be that person who's doing it. Don't just sit there and say, pick up your toys, go around the room, help pick up the toys, ask them to help clean up with you. Um, I don't typically work out a lot while my kids are here just so I can spend more time with them, but they know I work out. They do see me 
every now and then go into the gym and work out. Like you want them to kind of be a part of the process or see those things. Like if I were eating junk food and saying, Hey, you have to eat this apple, that wouldn't be good. Right. But if I'm there eating an apple and I'm like, here, you can have a peace of mind. Then that speaks volumes compared to just telling them what to do. Yeah. They'll do what you do before they do what you say. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. One of the, my favorite sayings that I've learned from this podcast and thing. So, well, Rob, thank you so much, brother. It's been so great to reconnect. I'm uh, looking forward to many more conversations to come. And yeah, I'm going to have to start DMing some folks. And so if you hear some random people ask, hey, who's this Brian Verdusco guy? Just know uh, it's coming because you gave me <laughs> go ahead on this, all right? Dude, and if you ever need me to intro you to someone that you see I'm friends with, let me know. I absolutely will. Oh, much love, man. Well, appreciate you, brother. Hope you have a great rest of your evening. Yeah, dude. This was awesome. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to talk again. Peace, bro. And that's a wrap for episode number four. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with my good buddy, Rob Riker. And you learned some new ideas on how to say goodbye to that nine to five of yours, especially if you've been thinking about coaching and getting into that space. He's a wealth of knowledge. I know I walked away from the convo with some great action items on how to build my Twitter network and hope you can apply some of those to help your businesses grow as well. So make sure you give Rob a follow on Twitter at Robert G. Riker. You won't be disappointed. As always, if you liked the show, it would fire me up for you to leave a review. Share this with your favorite father. Hit that subscribe button and tell me what you thought. And if you want more content, please follow along on Instagram at BDuzco. B-D-U-Z-C-O. So thanks again for tuning in. Now go be great and go fitbo some shit out.